do not have a Bible, we have one for you. We will spend the next part of our time together where I'll just teach you the verses of the Bible. I believe that God's Word is worth listening to and considering and wrestling with. And so the best way to get you to do that is just to teach it to you. And, uh, and then we'll ask you to respond to it. Before we do that, I want to just say a couple of things. First of all, when you sat down, we put in your chair some water bottles that we had made just as a gift to you. And I don't know if you noticed that. If you didn't notice, you sat down. That's why you're uncomfortable. Anyway, so move that from your seat. And uh, we have these for you. We not only gave it so that you would have something that you could use during the week. Many of you exercise and are pretty active. And hopefully it will give you an opportunity to tell people about the church that you're a part of. But we have some extra ones. We actually ordered several hundred. And so we want to make them available to you. If you're in a place where you think, man, I could give away two or three of these and it might open up uh, an, an opportunity to share about my church and more importantly, faith in Jesus Christ, then we have those for you. You can take as many as you, as you want. Now, this group is so generous and oftentimes people that are generous have a hard time receiving gifts. I do not want you to leave these water bottles in your chairs, okay? So many of us are trying to get to lunch afterwards, and if we don't have to pick these up, it'd be a real gift. So please, please, please take these, take the ones around you, and we have some extra ones in a box. Andrew, where are you at? Are they in a box like in the closet or something? I brought one box. You brought one box. Are they all distributed? Yeah. Okay. So next week we'll have a box, an extra box of them for you. How about that? So this week... Find who you're going to give it to, all right? This is a really important kind of a project. Pretty cool. We've got a cool logo. Uh, I can say that because I didn't design it, but I can acknowledge that it's pretty cool. So please take that as a gift. You know, we as a church are so blessed because we have a generous God who generously provided for us salvation through Jesus Christ. One way we respond to God in gratitude is by being people who are generous. The Bible talks a lot about gifts, about giving to the Lord as an act of worship. And I just want to say to you, I'm thankful to pastor a church where many of you are generous week in and week out as an act of worship to God Almighty. We have many people that give every single week to see the mission of the Town Church move forward. One of the things that we did this week with some of the offering that was given in weeks past was we did a little service project uh, as a pastoral team to people in the downtown area. Now, I don't know about you, but I've been sweating this week. Raise your hand if you sweat at all this week. Yeah, if you haven't sweat, then you've just been hiding indoors somewhere, and we'll have a gigantic electricity bill. But uh, we, we said, you know what? What's a real practical need of the people in our city? A cold drink, right? Now, as much as people wanted us to distribute cold beers, we did not. We actually went downtown right here on the corner of uh, next to the YMCA, and we just stood out there with three ice chests full of cold drinks, and people walked up, and we handed it to them. They wanted to know, why are you doing this? And we just said, because it's hot outside, and you're probably thirsty. We actually didn't do it just to promote our church. We wanted to just serve people. So we've got a couple pictures as evidence of, oh, oh. No idea what that is. <laughs> there should be another picture in there of us serving water bottles. This baby was that. <laughs> there it is again. Somebody 
really proud of their baby. They wanted them to be uh, wanted them to be up there. All right, we have pictures. Maybe we'll maybe we'll show it later. Um, that baby's up for adoption. Did anybody want to adopt that baby? Um, yeah, thank you. Take your word for it, Lauren. So anyway, so just so you know, uh, whenever we as a church have the opportunity. This is getting creepy. So whenever we as a church have an opportunity to be generous, uh, we do it. This is one of our four stated values, radical generosity. It was really amazing as we were standing there on the corner and people were saying, walking up like, okay, what's the catch? We'd say, no catch. Here's a Gatorade or a water. And about half of them, only in America, would not take it. They just knew for sure, you know, there was a catch. But no, really, you, you can have it. It's free. Come on. What was interesting, though, is every bus driver that drove by, or city worker, they would go out of their way, like, screeching across three lanes and be like, hey, give me one of those Gatorades. So we were, like, throwing them in the window, and that was pretty awesome. So anyway, so, so I want to just encourage those of you that have been given by saying that God is using your obedience to God in this area to shine a light in our city. For those of you that have not yet begun giving, to the mission of Jesus Christ for the people of Near Town Church, I want to encourage you to do so. It's an invitation to joy. It's an inv invitation to radical generosity. So here we are in the book of Philippians. If you have one of our Bibles that we've handed to you, it's actually a gift to you if you'd like to take it. You can turn to page 980. That's where Philippians is. I tell you that because I want you to be able to read along with what's in here so you'll know that what I'm saying is, are not my words, but the, the words of God. So 980 is where we're going to be. We're going to start in verse uh, 12 of chapter 2. So big 2, little 12 is where we're going to be. Alright? Stand to your feet and let's read these verses together and then I'll teach it to you. Philippians chapter 2 starting in verse 12. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or questioning, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God, without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain, even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. May God bless the reading of his word. You may be seated. So in the weeks past that we've begun walking through Philippians, we've learned that when we seek to glorify Christ, we're able to experience joy in the midst of every type of circumstance, hence the title Joy in Suffering for this series. We've noticed that this kind of life is not to be lived alone, but it's to be lived in connection with others who humbly serve each other for the greater good of being used by God in this world to advance the gospel. As we consider what it means to glorify Christ together, we hear these words of Paul who calls on the Christians at Philippi to obey God for their greatest joy. Here's 
the main idea of this passage. Our obedience invites God's continued work in our lives, resulting in genuine joy. Our obedience invites God's continued work in our lives, resulting in genuine joy. It's remarkable to consider that God's spokesperson for joy is Paul. We've talked about this several times. He's a prisoner, wrongly accused, and he's possibly going to die, and he's never been married. I mean, of all the people that God would choose to talk about joy, it's fantastic and incredible and wonderful that God would use a guy like Paul to say, hey, I rejoice in my circumstance. This is the kind of life we want to get at. We want to try to understand. Every day, all around us, there are people that are stressed out, that are not experiencing joy, but instead they're experiencing heartache and pain. And these are the people we think about when we consider Paul's words, that there is joy found in Jesus Christ. Just this week I experienced somebody else's anger and frustration. Sounds like I'm setting up a story about my marriage. I'm not. I've never happened. So where I live is right over here off Hazard and Vassar. And so to get to 59 from my house, you have to pull out on the green bar. So if you know the area, there's a section where it's uh, Shepherd splits into two one-ways that are separated by a block on the south side of 59. And so I pull out onto, actually it's Shepherd going northbound. And I'm clearly... I mean, clearly have the room to pull out. Now, before I tell you what happened, I want you to know that on this particular day, I was driving Andrew's car. Now, I drive a truck. I drive an Avalanche. I mean, it's a big truck. I even got big tires in that thing. I, I like having room and space. And so usually when I'm driving my truck, I mean, people, people don't mess. People don't mess. You've got a bigger vehicle. I mean, you know, I'm in Andrew's car. Here's a picture of me trying to get into Andrew's car, actually. <laughs> That's what it felt like, me trying to get into Andrew's car. He has a little bitty Toyota. What kind of car is it, Andrew? It's an Echo. Yeah, so we call it, Andrew calls it Little Miracle, actually. That's what he calls it. And this thing, it gets up to 183 miles to the gallon, and so it gets like 12. But that's another story. Um, so anyway, so I'm driving Andrew's truck on this occasion because I'd asked him to, to um, do something and it required using my truck. And so here I am in his car, and, and, and I pull out onto the road, and I know I've got plenty of room. I've been driving long enough. I know I've judged my own driving. It's pretty good. I get plenty of room, and as I'm pulling out onto Shepherd, heading to the stoplight at, at, um, right there at uh, Shepherd 59, I look in my rearview mirror, and there's this guy in this Lexus just going so fast, and he comes right up on me, and he does what many of you have seen before. He starts doing this, you know, starts, you know, all this kind of stuff, and so he, he swerves over, almost hitting Little Miracle. I'm not tell you that part, Andrew, I apologize. Hitting Little Miracle, and I have to be honest, if I were hit in that car, I think I would just be, be destroyed. And so he pulls over, he pulls next to me, and he's still like, just screaming, red-faced, and so I did what any concerned citizen would do. I reach over, because there's not automatic windows. I reach over, and I'm like, I roll down the window, because clearly he wants to talk to me. And I must confess, my heart in this moment probably wasn't right. I probably was not all that concerned. I was more like, 
you know, like when you're in the eighth grade and you're in school and you walk down the hall, somebody bumps you and you're like, hey man, what's up? Hey man, what's up? That's kind of my attitude, okay? I'm confessing this to you all. Please forgive me. I know I don't deserve a pastor. Okay. So, so I roll down the window. And he looks at me and he's like, he rolls down his. He's got lights, so I guess he'll do this. And, he say, and I say, uh, is there a problem? And he goes, yeah, you cut me off. I go, hey man, you're driving way too fast. I didn't cut you off. You were way back there. He was like, then you cut me off. And as I said this, I begin ministering to him. I say to him, I said, you know, man, life is too short for you to be so stressed out. You need to chill out, right? And I'm, I, okay, so I realized I could have been shot, but I've got it done too. So we're, we're you know, it's listening. Um, so, so I look, I look, and he looks at me, and, he, and I say that, he's like, you have no idea what's going on in my life. This is where I had to stop by. And I go, so what's going on? <laughs> because he says, we're sitting there at a stoplight. I felt like we were in my office and like I was counseling him. He said, my dad just had, I'm leaving out the curse words, by the way. My dad just had a heart attack. I was like, oh man, I'm really sorry to hear that. And he looked at me like, roll up his window and draw I mean, clearly all around us, there are people who are so stressed out, like to the max, their systems for joy are failing them, right? Their systems for joy are failing them. And so what do we do? We have good news. And so what we want to do is we want to take the good news that we find in God's word to people. We're saying that in Jesus Christ, there is great joy. And what we've seen in weeks past is that when you desire to glorify Christ with your life, you will experience joy in every circumstance. Paul gets to this part of chapter 2, starting in verse 12, where he's going to talk a bit about obedience. And we're going to see these words, that obedience is our uh, accepting God's invitation to joy. Look there in verse 12. It starts with the word therefore. And anytime you see the word therefore in a verse, you say, what's that therefore? Therefore. Well, it, it connects these verses to what's immediately preceding them. And what we saw last week is that Christ obeyed the Father and carried out his plan even to death on the cross. He was a servant. So he says, therefore, my beloved. My beloved is a term of endearment. Anytime you see it in the Bible, it's, it's a friendly conversation that he's having with them. Maybe what he's about to say will be hard for them to hear. So he's warming them up with it. He says, as you have always obeyed, so now obey. Oftentimes when we hear the command to obey, we feel restricted. It, it might feel like an attack on our individualistic tendencies to believe that we can make our own rules. I mean, how in the world can somebody else tell us what we have to do? Have you ever felt that? Have you ever seen that? We feel like we could set our own guidelines. And what Paul is telling the Christians at Philippi is that they are to obey. The command to obey bumps into our pride. I want you to listen to something very carefully. Everybody operates by somebody's rules. Everybody. And what I want to tell you in this moment is that obeying God provides Freedom, not enslavement. Obeying 
what God's word says we are to do or not to do is accepting freedom, refusing enslavement. The Christian call to obedience actually is an invitation to joy. Obedience is our way of inviting God to complete his work in us. You know, God began a work in us when our hearts were led to repentance and faith in Jesus Christ. Many of you have already made that decision. Some of you are looking at Christianity from the outside, wondering if there truly is joy found in Jesus Christ. I want to tell you that there is. And the work of God in our lives begins whenever we acknowledge our sin separates us from God. We believe that Jesus dying on the cross provides a payment for our sin we cannot provide for ourselves. So we accept it in faith. This begins the work of God in our lives. There's this beautiful idea in Scripture where we know that we were saved in Christ. We were saved in Christ. Completed, you can never lose it. But we're also being saved, being rescued. And then there will be a day where we are saved. This continued work of God in our lives is accepted by us when we choose to obey God. We ask God, God, please continue to work in my life. And I want you to work in my life, so I'm going to obey you. Now, we do not obey for salvation. He says here that we're to, we're to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. This is a sense of reverence for salvation, right? Not a flippant, oh yeah, I got Jesus in my heart. I won't go to hell when I die. I mean, that is, that is irreverent, disrespectful to God. But instead it's saying, I acknowledge that through Christ I've been saved and I want God to continue to work in my life and God is awesome and he is big and he could smash me in a moment, just a, just a fraction of a moment if you wanted to. We, we walk in reverence to God Almighty. We're to work out our salvation. Obedience is our way of working out our salvation. This is our part in working out our salvation is obeying God. I want to be very clear here because some of you have religious backgrounds that have told you directly or taught you indirectly that salvation comes whenever you do a list of things, which is why some of you have a religious background where you went to church and it didn't matter if you understood what was going on. All that mattered was whether or not you were there. What I want you to understand is that it does matter that you know what's going on, which is why we pay such careful attention to God's word. We want to know what God has to say, why we work hard to, for this to make sense to you. Some of you grew up in church environments where you, had to, you were taught to work for your salvation. What I'm telling you is that salvation, the work of the cross, is work enough for your salvation. You receive it. You believe it. This is how you are saved. So he is not saying here that we are working for our salvation. Instead, we're to work out our salvation in a sense of bringing it to completion. We're to obey God so that our salvation continues, so that we get to experience God 
and the joy that comes of being in Christ. The very word salvation actually means rescue. And it, it in by definition, means that we something happens we cannot do for ourselves. So you can't be saved on your own. You need Christ. But once you're saved, you certainly can obey God and put yourself in a position where you can continue to work in your life. And here's the thing about obeying God. When we obey God, when God says, here is what you're to do or not to do, it's not just to ruin our lives. It's not to keep us from enjoying this life. In fact, God knows us better than anybody. He knows our world better than anybody. He knows what we need so that we can find the greatest fulfillment in this life. Certainly, God is glorified when we are enjoying Christ in this life on mission with him. When I was a kid, I used to love going to a water park. Now, if it's hot as it is outside, I can't think of any illustrations that aren't involving water. And I grew up in Tulsa, Oklahoma. And in Tulsa, Oklahoma, there's this uh, water park called Big Splash. Now, I was there when Big Splash opened. I remember them cutting the ribbon. And I remember looking over and seeing this gigantic slide. That's actually not the slide of Big Splash. I couldn't find a picture of it. But that's another gigantic <laughs> slide. But that's what it felt like as a kid, like the largest slide in the country. This is a picture of that one, actually. But as a kid, I would go to Tulsa, the water park called Big Splash, and, and, and I knew something very early. If I obeyed the rules, I would experience great joy. Now, if you ran, you'd be hollered at, that, right? Because the rules are don't run, because if you run, you can slip and fall and hurt yourself or somebody else. If you got on the stairs and you cut in line, that was breaking the rules, and that meant that you couldn't make your way to the top where the slide is, and you would you'd not be able to enjoy that ride. If when you got to the top, you weren't uh, prepared in your body positioning on the slide, they would not let you go. Why? Because they wanted us to enjoy the ride. I will never forget the very first time as a young boy that I went down that tall water slide. I was fearful. I was excited. I was probably a little teary-eyed. I was so scared. But when I went over that front edge of that tall water slide and experienced that drop and went to the bottom, you know what I wanted to do? I wanted to do it again. And I knew the rules. I didn't have to have somebody tell me again, don't run, don't cut in line, and this is how you're supposed to lie. Instead, I knew the rules, and it help me to enjoy it even more. Now, it's kind of a silly illustration, but it's one that reminds us that God gives us rules so that we can enjoy our lives. We can enjoy all that God has for us. Some people would say to me, I don't understand why God is punishing me. Why my life is a mess. God, why in the world? It's like they shake their fist at God. And what God is simply saying is because you disobey me. You're not willing to obey me, yet you want the joy that comes with being in Christ. It doesn't work like that. Now, I do want to issue a warning. If you have no desire to obey God, then salvation has not begun in you. What you must first do is recognize that your sin separates you from God, and that only Jesus Christ can forgive. 
when you do this in faith, salvation happens and begins. God is the one that makes salvation possible. He makes your obedience possible also. So salvation begins with God, it continues with God, and it will happen because of God. Now there's this fantastic phrase that Paul uses here, that all this is for his good pleasure. You see that there? Verse 13. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. You know, it's an act of worship to God when you obey him and enjoy him. Isn't that fantastic? It's an act of worship to God when you obey Him and because of your obedience, you more fully enjoy Him. Now Paul knows that these Christ followers at Philippi would need some specific instructions on where they're, how they're to obey God. They might on the exterior be wanting to obey God, but what Paul's about to address is their heart in obedience. Look at verse 14. Speaking of obedience, he says, Do all things without grumbling or disputing. Now, some might translate this and think immediately about how they're interacting with one another, <coughs> which is certainly true. He's telling them, together, in community, as you're following Christ, don't grumble with one another. Um, don't dispute. Don't argue. Don't waste your time on these things. But I actually think more what Paul is saying here is that in obeying God, in the call to obey God for his good pleasure, do it without grumbling. Do it without arguing with God by arguing with his word. Just take what God's word says and do it and trust him. The result is that you will be blameless, verse 15, which means above criticism. No one could look at you and make a case for how you're being fake or how you're using God for something other than good purposes. That you may be blameless and innocent. Innocence, like this idea of being wholesome in character. So obey God without grumbling or disputing, and the result is that you will be blameless and you will be innocent. You'll be a child of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. And these are harsh words Paul's using about the first century in this area of Philippi. I mean, that's not too far off from how we could describe a high world. Right? I don't want to be harsh about our city. I love our city and the people in it, even if they don't share my faith in Christ. But the reality is we live in a world that's very dark. What's promoted and applauded in our world is very, very ungodly. I'm thinking through illustrations of that in my head, and I'm sure you can think of them yourself. As Christians, when we obey God with a good attitude, we're blameless, and we stand out. We're a light that exposes the darkness. You know, our lives should look different. We obey God, and, and it helps us to enjoy God, and God is worshipped in that. But what it also does is it, it, it defines us as something distinctly different than someone that's not in Christ. 
And our lives should look different, right? I mean, sure, I, I want to contextualize, and I want for people to feel like they could come in, and even an unbeliever or a person that has no faith in Christ could come in and it makes sense to them. But there are places where our lives should look distinctly different than an unbeliever's life. Distinctly different. And if our behavior is just like theirs, then what's the point of them receiving the gospel or seeing us as a light in a dark time? Whenever their systems of joy fail them, why in the world would they come to us if our lives are no different than theirs? Our lives should look different. This is a matter of obedience and obeying God. When others seek their own interests. As believers in Jesus Christ, we ought to seek the interests of Jesus Christ. This is how we're to look different. The world seeks their own interests, but as followers of Jesus Christ, we seek the interest of Jesus Christ. This makes us look different than the world. This makes us a light in a dark place. In fact, Paul, just a few verses later, acknowledges one by the name of Timothy, whose life is not about his own interest, but instead about the interest of others. Look there in verse 19, just below the passage that we've already read. He says, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that I may be cheered by news of you. Verse 20, describing Timothy, one who's a light. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. This is the kind of guy Timothy is. He stands out. He's a light. He doesn't look to his own interests, but he looks to the interests. He's concerned for others. I wonder if that could be used to describe you. Do the people in your workplace describe you as someone who looks to their own interests, or do you genuinely have concern for the welfare of others in your home, among your friends. Our lives should look different, like this man called Epaphroditus. Epaphroditus was sent by the Philippians to Paul to minister to Paul while he was in prison. And shortly after Epaphroditus got there, he was he got very, very ill. And then the word got back to the Philippians. Now they're not only concerned about Paul, they're concerned about Epaphroditus. Well, Paul describes Epaphroditus as one who's a light in the midst of darkness. Look at verse 29, talking about Epaphroditus. Receive him in the Lord with all joy. In other words, when I send him back to you, and honor such men. Why is Epaphroditus being honored? Why should he be honored? Look at verse 30. For he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. This is what it looks like to obey God and to be a light in the darkness. To be people who are concerned not just for their own interests, but for the interests of Jesus Christ, the welfare of others. To be a person who is willing to risk even their own life for the sake of the gospel. Is that you? Is that you? 
See, Russell, you've talked a lot about obedience. Well, how do we know what to obey? Seems simple enough. Well, the way that we know what to obey is captured here in verse 16. He says, I want you to hold fast to the word of life. The way we know what we're to obey, what we're to do and to not do is by reading God's word. By opening up the Bible and reading God's word and not arguing with God's word, certainly wrestling with the meaning is okay. Not disputing it, well, I don't like this part, I like that part, so I'll take this and I won't take that. But instead, holding fast to it and saying, in here, I know how I can find my greatest enjoyment, what it means to follow Jesus Christ by obeying his word. The most life-giving, enjoyable way to connect with God is in his word. It's by reading his Bible and by praying and by spending time with God. And the most effective way to learn God's word is actually in community. Certainly, some of you have times where you read God's word on your own, and that's really, really good. But I want to tell you that that's actually different than most of the ways that we see people reading the Bible in the New Testament, new Christians. Uh, these guys would read it in community. If somebody had a time when they were reading the Bible, they would gather with somebody else and ask a question. What does this mean? You see, it's interesting to consider that the Christian faith moves forward as we walk in community. And so even reading God's word ought to be done uh, in connection with other people. The most effective way to know how to obey is to read God's word and then to talk about it among uh, other people who share our faith in Jesus Christ. And it's really helpful if you have someone that's a little more knowledgeable, somebody that's a little further along. Titus chapter 2, Paul's telling Titus how to set up the church. And he tells him that the older men are to tell the younger men what it means to be Christian. And the older women are to tell the younger women. And this is how we try to set up New York Town Church very simply. We want to help you get connected with people who can teach you what it means to obey God in small groups. We do a thing called NT groups, and many of you are in them. How in the world do we know what to obey? We read God's Word, and one of the best places to sort of work that out is in community and connection with other people. If you're not yet connected to other people for those kinds of conversations, then we want you to be. You could simply tell us from that communication card on your chair, hey, I want to be connected with other people to talk about the Bible. And you don't even have to totally believe yet. It's okay. It's a good place to examine the scriptures together. The most effective way to know how we can obey God is through his word. And when we begin to read God's word, we see how we can enjoy God more fully through our obedience to him. We see passages like 1 Peter chapter 5 verse 8 which says be sober minded. Be self-controlled is essentially what he's saying. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Be self-controlled. We read passages, and we know that to follow God, we're to, and to enjoy God, we're to be self-controlled. That means you cannot get drunk. You cannot do things to such extravagance and exuberance that you cannot control yourself. And for some of you, that means don't drink ever. Others of you, maybe you're a little more disciplined than there, and you might be able to. Be self-controlled. Uh, we also see passages like Hebrews chapter 10, verse 21. It says, let us consider how to stir up one another, love and good works. Do not neglect meeting together. 
It's a command in the Bible to gather with the church regularly. And the New Testament assumes that the church is gathering once a week. That's a command of the Bible. You have to decide, am I going to obey that or not obey that? And your obedience to that will give you great joy. We see in the Bible a list of things that we're not to do and the things that we are to do. And it's not just so we can go, okay, I didn't do that or I did do that and kind of check off a list of rules. It's God's way of saying, hey, your obedience invites me to work in your life. The result is genuine joy. So when we see passages like where we're commanded to love one another, we do that. It's an act of obedience to God, but the end result is our joy. See, passages like serve one another, we do that. It's an act of obedience to God, and the end result is our joy. How in the world did somebody look at that and not want it? Our obedience invites God to continue work in our lives, resulting in genuine joy. Do you obey God? Simply. Do you obey God's word, or do you take the parts you like, leave out the parts you don't like? Do you, do you take it and say, I'm going to obey God's word, even if I don't understand it fully? I'm going to obey it, believing that my obeying it is where I will find the greatest joy, where God will be the most pleased, and where we can most effectively be a light in the darkness. <coughs> I pray that this is our heart's desire. Let's pray again.